Welcome to Call Your Next Witness. My name is Brian Gibbons. Um, this is a Wade Clark Mulcahy podcast where we focus on issues related to trial practice, litigation, insurance, things along those lines, generally in the New York City area. Uh, but today is going to be what amounts to part two of our cannabis series following Ryan Eeks from Typhoon Pharma. We're going to we're going to interview Typhoon Pharma's attorney, Alex Busher from Colorado. Alex, pleasure to meet you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. Uh, so, Alex, to we we had just interviewed Ryan a few days ago, um, and Ryan put you and I together. And what a good amount of what what Ryan and I spoke about was just very basic. How did you get into the cannabis field? Uh, being that you know Ryan had no real interaction in that world as recently as three or four years ago. And I think that might also apply to you just in terms of, you know, your entry into the world of cannabis and frankly, how new the world of cannabis regulatory issues are. So, um, you know, I'm just going to hand it to you at this point. How did you get involved in this world other than the fact that I guess you're in Colorado, which was uh, patient zero for for legalizing cannabis in the United States? Sure. Well, um Thanks for having me again about, so I, I've got a couple autoimmune conditions. And while, when I started law school, um, I was looking at alternatives to um, pretty heavy duty medications like Enbrel, uh, methotrexate and painkillers um, because I just wasn't enjoying the quality of life that I wanted to enjoy. Um, so I started looking into alternatives and one of the ones I found was CBD. Um, and this was in, 20, let's see, I believe it was 2015, really new. The 2014 Farm Bill had just been passed, which legalized um, the research into hemp. It didn't legalize commercial the commercial commercialization of products, but um, when they actually legalized the research of hemp, you started seeing products come out. And I was able to transition from several different pharmaceuticals to uh, cannabis um, over the period of a few weeks. And um, my functionality went from about 10% to 90%. And really all of that was, um, I attribute to CBD and removing the other pharmaceuticals from my regimen. Um, so that was my first year of law school uh, when that happened. And when I saw the change in myself, I decided that I wanted to help regulate um, the cannabis plant, specifically the hemp side, um, because CBD was so, so new and had such a great impact on my life. Um, so immediately so this was started, just incredible time. This was just, sorry, this, so this was just incredible timing then that this was personal for you. The farm bill gets passed in 2014 and now it's, it's helping you out personally and you're in law school transitioning into your own practice, um, correct. right when this is just becoming, you know, a, a, it's coming out of the, uh, out of the shadows, so to speak as a regulated industry. Correct. So, I mean, I was I was really lucky that I was able to that CBD was even around. Colorado was one of the first states to uh, legalize hemp, and we did it through Amendment 64, which also legalized the recreational uh, marijuana marketplace. Um, and that allowed um, operators to extract different cannabinoids. 
and CBD had been discussed a little bit. It wasn't mainstream, but it had been discussed kind of in the cannabis community as, you know, a, a um, potential cannabinoid that could help with inflammation and other issues, but did not provide a high. So that was kind of what I was I was looking for, you know, going being in law school is I didn't want to be high 24 seven. So I, I wanted to figure out something that worked for me, uh, provided relief, but I could still, you know, work throughout the day um, and, and not be impaired. So um, it was really unbelievable the first time I took CBD. Um, I had been in pain for 10 plus years. And the first time I took it, I looked at my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, and I said, I'm not in pain. And she goes, what do you mean? I was like, this is the first time I haven't been in pain. I actually don't know what this feeling feels like. Um, and it, it was really a life-changing moment for me. And I went from being bed rested to climbing Long's Peak, which was a 16 hour hike uh, in Rocky Mountain National Park. It's a 14,000 foot mountain um, in six so months. Can, so can I can I ask like the, and I don't wanna get too personal into your own medical situation here, but uh, but you brought it up. So I'm gonna yeah. use a lawyer term. You opened the door, so I'm gonna go through <laughs> it. Um, so, in terms of pain, you had clearly been taking various prescription medications uh, for for pain. Nothing worked. And then was CBD just was it a kind of a trial and error process that prompted you to try that? Yeah, I, I had heard about it. I was tired of taking to be candid Oxycontin. Uh, the, doc the doctors had given me um, just copious amounts of Oxycontin and I just did not like who I was when taking that medication, nor did I like my, you know, functionality still really wasn't functional. It allowed me to make it through the day, but I was pretty much bed rested. Um, so it just wasn't, that wasn't the quality of life I wanted. So I started looking at other options um, and CBD was really new at that time. And it has um, grown immensely. So after, Finding that CBD really worked for me, um, I started working under a general counsel inside of in in house at a cannabis company, just to learn the the industry, the insides and outs, the regulation. And at this point, CBD um, and hemp was still legal for research purposes federally, but not legal commercially. So all of these products were still unlawful under federal law, but lawful under state law, uh, kind of like marijuana. At the time. Yeah attorneys were saying that it was legal in all 50 states because they said that the Fed, federal farm bill had legalized hemp. So hemp could then be transported interstate to all 50 states. And it was essentially an automatic legalization. What that failed to mention was every state still has a Controlled Substances Act. And if you look at the Controlled Substances Act of each state, they define marijuana, which is a controlled substance, as the cannabis plant, except for stocks, seeds, um, and that's pretty much it. So they actually, all these states needed to create a separate exemption in their definition of marijuana for hemp to be legal. And that hadn't occurred. So when I started my firm, when the uh, 2018 Farm Bill came out, which did allow for commercialization of the of the space, I think there were only eight states that it was actually legal. Um, hemp products were actually legal in. Now we have all 50 states that have done some sort of regulation to allow for hemp growth, cultivation, uh, interstate transport and some products, but those vary. I mean, Colorado, you can pretty much have any any product um, that's, you know, you can add hemp to pretty much any food supplement product um, as long as it's 
less than 0.3% THC, which is that that definition of hemp. But next, our, you know, our state next door in Kansas, you can't add hemp to anything for human consumption. And they include even cosmetics in that definition. So um, you, can, uh, you can use hemp for rope, paper, textiles, building materials in Kansas, but nothing for human consumption. So I started my firm because I realized every single state has is at a different place is regulating this completely differently you have the federal law which regulated it to the states that says you know here's your minimum you have to submit a state plan to the usda the state plan at minimum has to have xx and x um, but other than that states you can make it illegal you can make it fully legal you can do what you want the only thing you can't do is prohibit transport through the state because that would um, ruin interstate um shipping of the products so and and that's per the farm bill is there not from states are that's per permitted the, that's per the 2018 farm bill yeah okay, okay. so the 2014 so, farm bill was research purposes institutes of higher education only um people started selling products under that farm bill just because of a misunderstanding of the law that also was a misunderstanding of attorneys who were telling these companies that they were legal in all 50 states. Um, and that, you know, the, what's interesting is that advice today is still wrong. The advice from the 2014 Farm Bill that hemp was legal in all 50 states is today still wrong because you have states like Kansas that if you have a CBD tincture, it's unlawful. And what gets more interesting is the way Kansas exempted hemp from marijuana is Marijuana and, uh, excludes hemp as long as it is grown and produced in accordance with Kansas rules. So if anything falls af falls afoul of Kansas rules, it's then marijuana again, a schedule one substance, and you can be arrested for marijuana. Theoretically, I haven't seen that enforcement happen yet. But the way they've legalized, theoretically, if you did a CBD product and send it to Kansas because it doesn't comply with their hemp act, it doesn't. It's not then exempted from marijuana, and you could be charged with marijuana. Yeah. So even if it's not, you haven't seen it be actively enforced, it's still illegal on the books. And that has to make it just difficult to, you know, what's the right way to say this? If you can't just take their word for it, that they're not going to enforce it. And good luck doing any kind of business in that sense, when the risk of even an innocent mistake can, can prompt, you know, an immediate arrest or even an indictment, depending on, you know, the volume that we're talking about. Right. Correct. Correct. Wow. I mean, just because it's not enforced doesn't mean as an attorney, I can't, I have to, you know, I still have to tell my, my clients, look, this is illegal. It, you cannot do this because if they do enforce it, you're talking about interstate trafficking of marijuana. Like it, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not something where, oh, you know, it's a little slap on the wrist and a fine because you've sent in, you know, something that's been tainted or, or, you know, something that wasn't actively your fault <laughs> And you knowing that, hey, if I send this product into Kansas, it's a schedule one substance. It's it's not a slap on the wrist. So um, a lot of my job is explaining to my clients just how risky this business is. And I, I really do mainly stay on the hemp side, um, you know, in shipping to all 50 states. And then really you can't ship to all 50 states. You know, you, you can ship hemp paper to all 50 states, but hemp paper was legal before the 2018 Farm Bill because it was exempted. It's made from the stocks or, um, or from the stocks of hemp. So you just have a you just have an issue where it was ripe for for an attorney specifically focused on the hemp industry. 
And that's really what I did. So um, graduated law school in May of 2018, uh, swore into the bar November 4th of 2018, and then the farm bill was passed December 19th of 2018. So um, just <laughs> it was just very advantageous. Um, and I told my school, I went to DU Law, I told my school, I said, I, I want to open my own firm focused on hemp. And I didn't really think that they would be all that supportive, but they actually supported me with a grant to help um, fund my office for the first year. So um, I was the only attorney out of law or the only yeah, graduate out of law school my year um, to go out on their own in their own practice. And it was a scary situation and it would have been a lot worse, but my law school was behind me and said, you know, you're passionate, you have um, a great knowledge base, and you should do this. Um, and this is right after I had done a 50 state law review on CBD's legality in all 50 states, um, which was requested by Congress while they were negotiating the, the farm bill. Um, it was requested by now Governor Jared Polis, but he was a congressman at the time. Um, so I just jumped in head first and ever since then, regulations change on a <laughs> pretty much weekly, monthly basis. I mean, it's it's <laughs> uh, an insane industry, yeah, and keep, every week there's something new. Well, keeping track of the regulation, you know, we're talking 50 states at varying degrees of proactive measures with no real guidance as to, like, Kansas versus Colorado. There are two bordering states that seem to view cannabis or marijuana in completely diametric opposite fashions. Uh, something that you mentioned before that I wanted to ask about before I move on. Now, to the uneducated listener, you mentioned that the the 2018 Farm Bill um, basically allows the states to do what they want with regard to marijuana, except uh, with regard prohibit, to hemp. With, with regard to hemp. hemp. Except with, but not with regard to interstate commerce. That was, that was allowed to flow freely, and states were not permitted to prohibit that. Correct. Correct. The original version of the bill was going to be a preemption, and it was going to legalize nationwide. Um, but you had several uh, Republican members of the Senate who actually said, "No, no, no. We're just going to make this federalism, and states can legalize as they will as they wish." Um, Mitch McConnell's Hemp Act. Hemp Farming Act of 2018 was rolled in to the 2018 Farm Bill. Um, and if you look at the original version of his bill, you can see that it was a preemption bill. Um, and then the final version that was in the Farm Bill actually was a federalism bill. But, you know, it, it created a lot of work for me because companies have to comply with 50 different states and 50 different regulations. But it's not made this industry an easy industry to be profitable in. Um, you know, and, and and it's not just the regulations that that have caused that to be the case, but also the competition. And what you'll see in this industry, and it's happened over and over, is there's one sexy cannabinoid at a time, and everybody runs to that sexy cannabinoid. And then the price of that cannabinoid crashes, and everybody loses a bunch of money, and they go to the next sexy cannabinoid where that price crashes and price crashes and price crashes. So if you're in this market, all I can advise is don't run where everybody else is running because that has been essentially what's happened in this industry so far. Um, and we've seen, I would say, the vast majority of operators lose money and close up shop. Um, 
you know, in 2019, we had 500,000 acres of hemp grown. This year, I think we're at a tenth of that. Um, really? Yeah. So even though in the big picture, cannabis production is clearly on the way up from where it was five years ago, in the much smaller scale, it's been a down year. Um, let's separate hemp and marijuana real quick. So cannabis, let's, cannabis okay. sativa L is the plant. Hemp is below 0.3% THC and marijuana is above 0.3% THC. Right now, I'm just kind of pushing marijuana to the side because it's such an intrastate game. You okay. can't ship in, you can't ship marijuana interstate. Um, but with hemp, yeah, that below below that 0.3%, um, you saw a massive consolidation. And the truth is, is if you look at um, how much CBD you yield per acre, I think it was around 30 to 40,000 acres will supply the entire U.S. market for CBD. So that 500,000 acres was a whole lot of people rushing in like a gold rush. Mm-hmm. There were producers promising 500 or $10,000 an acre, whereas they would make about 1,000 to 2,000 an acre with corn. And because there were so many farmers that were like, all right, let's 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 switch over. Let's switch over to hemp. We'll make a whole lot more money. Come harvest time, there was too much hemp on the market. So it just crashed. And wow. then that kind of went down the chain to the processors. Cause so a kilo of CBD was, um, you know, at 2017, it was $10,000 a kilo. In 2019, it was $200 a kilo. And at $200 a kilo, that's more, it's, that's less money than it takes to actually produce the CBD, so people were just losing their money. You know, and and you mentioned before that you know the 0.3 THC level, which is the the line of demarcation between hemp versus marijuana. And just to 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 mention that point about the the 2018 farm bill and the the federalist nature that it that it eventually was enacted under. So, and I just want to make sure I'm understanding this properly. States are not permitted to prohibit. Uh, interstate commerce of hemp but if we go above that point three now we're talking about interstate marijuana trafficking right which so doing basically the same thing but that point three thc level which my understanding is it's it's i don't want to say arbitrary but it's arbitrary the, <laughs> thank you it's it came it's, from it a, seems it came like from a paper it came from a um a research paper in in canada that was the original point three standard that was used so it's very it's very arbitrary uh the issue another issue just to bring this to everybody's attention is okay so i harvest my field it's at 0.28 percent thc stamp of approval from um the colorado department of agriculture now i'm sending it into kansas um it's dried out a little bit since they tested it. It also, they test it before I can harvest it. So, you know, it, it goes a little hotter in the field. So really when I harvest it, it's about 0.35. So now it is marijuana, but we already have the certificate and now I'm drying it. So I'm losing the water weight. So now it's going to 0.9. What happens in Kansas when my truckload gets pulled over and they test it and it's a 0.9% THC. You see, and, and this what you a- just described is like a cannabis law school final exam question where okay what is going to happen to this producer once if the cannabis authorities decide to you know to confiscate and test this stuff you know and you can see arguments on both sides but it's not a it's not comfortable advice that you'd be able to give to that client no there's nothing clear in this industry there's nothing there's no comfortable advice 
um, the advice I have to give is, you know, it's by the law. And then they're asking, well, what's the enforcement? And I said, well, you know, enforcement right now is fairly lax, especially from the federal level. You know, the FDA's enforcement is of sending letters. The FTC's levy fines, um, very few, but they have levied, I think, $75,000 um, against a company and $100,000 against another. So there are actual fines coming, but it's just not enforced. So you have a lot of operators will say, well, that's what the you know law says, but they're not enforcing it that way. And I'm like, I'm a lawyer. I have to tell you what the law says. I have to tell you to follow the law. The risk is your side of the, of the, of the table, right? Mm -hmm. But as an attorney, this is very risky. It's a very risky industry. But at the same time, you do have protection in that you have a state you know, you, the state has tested the hemp. They said it's compliant. So um, that should be respected. And what we have seen is states are respecting the uh, certificates of analysis from other states. So if they're saying that it tested as hemp, then the other states are respecting that. The processors are respecting that. So it's not that big of an issue, but I'm just trying to illustrate the problems and just the minutia in the regulation here that was caused and the issues that were caused by the federalist nature of the um, legalization of hemp versus, you know, a preemption bill, which would have put in the same rules and regulations everywhere. Now, I'm happy about the federalism side of it. I think that that the states are, I think, laboratories of democracy is the term. Um, but it does create headaches and it creates a lot of work for me, which I can't complain too much about. But, you know, at, at some point we do need to see more of a standardization because I don't think you can actually label your product compliantly in all the states where it would be legal to sell it because some of the states have conflicting regulations about labeling. Um, so it's just it's a cluster right now and eventually it'll get figured out, especially as we see more consolidation and bigger players start, you know, really ramping up the lobbying. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. <laughs> wow. Um, I've got a, a million questions, but in a very broad sense, and I'm going to ask you this in a difficult way. Where is the hemp industry in terms of the legal framework that you deal with compared to how it was four years ago? as opposed to where you would have expected it to be by now, if, if that question makes sense. Like if so, things moved as quickly as you would have expected, has it slowed down? You know, like how, I don't even, and I don't, I don't even know if that's a well-phrased question, but I think you, you, you see what I'm, what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. So I think four years ago, you already had a couple states like Colorado, Kentucky, and I think Washington and Oregon really in the hemp game. Um, and then when they legalized it federally in 2018, you started seeing all the other states, I would say 80% of the other states legalized hemp within the first year of that bill. And then you had a couple states like South Dakota, Iowa, um, Idaho, and Utah, Louisiana that, that waited and they, they waited because they wanted to see kind of what was happening in, in other markets. They're also much more conservative when it comes to cannabis and didn't really want, I mean, the, the, I think it was the governor of South Dakota, um, it was South Dakota or Iowa said, I'm not, I don't want to legalize hemp because it's essentially just legalizing marijuana. 
And what's interesting is while that's not true, you're seeing a lot of Delta 9 hemp products on the marketplace because of the 0.3% THC limit. So you're seeing hemp products that are being sold essentially nationwide that have five milligrams of THC in them, which is half of a recreational dose of THC. And they're doing that because they have a four gram gummy bear and five milligrams is less than 0.3% of four grams. So now you have an issue where these states have actually legalized hemp THC, not marijuana THC, but hemp THC, which is the same Delta 9 THC as marijuana THC. And obviously, if you smoke hemp, you're not going to get high because it's 0.3%. But if you take a gummy that's four grams and has five milligrams of of THC in it, you are going to get high because that's half of that recreational dose in Colorado. And honestly, 10 milligrams, a lot of people start at five in Colorado anyway, so that would really be that intro recreational dose. So they were kind of right about marijuana being THC being legalized. Um, It took about four years for three years for that to really come to fruition. Um, But honestly, I thought the FDA would get involved. And that's really what we're we're waiting on. We're waiting on the FDA's rules and regulations. The DEA has stepped back and say, hey, this is no longer a schedule one substance. If it's hemp, we're out. The FDA is saying, so there's two drugs called Sativex and Epidiolex. One is a THC drug and one is a CBD drug. And part of the rules of the FDA is if something's a drug, it can't be a food or dietary supplement. It's an active pharmaceutical ingredient and it's exempted from those definitions. So if you put that into your product, it's a drug, period, the end. So all of the companies that are making CBD or THC products are actually supposed to be registered as pharmaceutical companies producing drugs. The problem is, is obviously not a single one can or has the funding, has the facilities, or is willing to do that. So there are ways for Congress to exempt CBD or hemp products from from that regulation. That hasn't happened yet. Congress has FDA to regulate, and FDA has said, well, it's going to take us, you know, four to five years from I think it's 2020 when they said this to regulate. But we need some direction from Congress. So they kicked it back to Congress. Congress hasn't done anything since, except write more letters to the FDA telling them to regulate. So we have absolutely no clarity on CBD or THC, but the one thing that I can tell you is any product you see that has CBD in it that's labeled as a dietary supplement or as a food is unlawful under federal law. Same thing with THC because of the drug exclusions for Sativex and Epidiolex, which are two um, GW pharmaceutical products. I believe GW was just bought out by a larger pharmaceutical company. Um, so that's that's really where the crux of the issue is now is is the fda going to allow these in food and dietary supplement products so that you can have more of a a market right now right now the fda is not enforcing except for writing letters to operators who are making medical claims so because it's not a drug you can't say this cures cancer this helps you sleep this helps with joint pain this helps with inflammation you can't send any of that because those are all drug claims or structure function claims and because Uh, this isn't allowed to be a supplement or a food you or and they're not drug companies they can't make any of those claims so that's where the letters and enforcement are going right now but we need the fda to regulate this because right now everything's still federally legal except for cosmetics paper hemp rope anything not ingestible anything ingestible is illegal per the fda and, and, and state- even Congress and Congress is basically punting to the F- FDA saying you guys need to Correct. 
to to get your act together before we can do anything on our end. Correct. Now in Colorado, we ran a bill called the Hemp Foods Bill that allows anything derived from hemp to be put in food. So now we've got again conflict in the hemp space between state and federal law, even though the feds legalized hemp, just like we still have it with marijuana and federal law. So I guess at the end of the day, the regulations we have don't really make sense. And they don't make <laughs> sense because 0.3% THC obviously is not the difference between an intoxicating product and an intox a non-intoxicating product and an intoxicating product. Because as I've explained, while 0.3% won't get you high if you smoke it, 0.3% of a four milligram gummy or four gram gummy is you you can have more than five milligrams of THC there. Mm -hmm. So that will get you high. So I think we need a to rethink our regulatory scheme in terms of the cannabis plant instead of breaking this up arbitrarily into hemp and marijuana. Let's just back get back to regulating cannabis. And if we have cannot, you know, intoxicating, you know, if we have regulations that that are more concerned about the intoxication versus just the percentage of THC or the use case, like I, even if we get away from intoxication, just the use case, hemp, you know, hemp doesn't need to be tested if it's going to be in rope or paper or building materials or this or that, because it's not going to be ingested by humans, right? So we should, if it's going to be intended for that, the testing regime for hemp should be much lower. We shouldn't need to test for all the pesticides and heavy metals. That just it that <laughs> it needs to be lower. Um, and and in states like Colorado, you have a lot of testing on the product side once you get to the health department, but you don't have to do your heavy metal and your pesticide potencing potent your pesticide testing in the field. Um, other states have moved towards more testing in the field. Um, but really, I think that's the crux of the issue: is the cannabis plant is one plant. And right now, the way we've separated it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we, as we talk about legalizing cannabis, if we can get hemp back in that conversation and talking about legalizing the whole plant in different areas um, of, you know, and regulate it differently. So it's more about the product end use versus, you know, just an arbitrary 0.3% THC, I think we'll get, be in a better place. Um, it's just hard to see how that's going to work with the several bills that have been filed. Um, so I think upcoming is the 2023 hemp bill, which will get more clarity. Um, I think when they're is, going when to is that raise, expected? When is that expected to be issued? Summer and, of 2023. And they're okay. going to raise from what I, my understanding is they're going to raise that limit of THC to 1% in the field, but keep it 0.3% per, per products. Um, so you would still have that loophole. For example, Minnesota just legalized THC from hemp products. And they said, as long as you label correctly, don't sell the people under 21 and keep it under five milligrams, you can sell THC hemp products in, in Minnesota. They're the only um, state that I've seen do that. Most other states like Colorado are trying to regulate intoxicating cannabinoids like Delta-8 or Delta-10 out of the industry entirely. And that's because it's competitive to marijuana. So you're you're also seeing competition within the cannabis industry from the hemp producers that are producing THC products and then the marijuana producers that have to go through so many 456 pages of rules in Colorado versus you know 20 pages of rules for hemp um, plus the hemp can be sold anywhere whereas 
uh, the, the intoxicating hemp products can currently be sold anywhere versus the marijuana products can only be sold in dispensaries, um, you know, under cameras, you have to have your ID scanned. So it's become an issue, you know, for marijuana because they're saying, look, this isn't fair. They're selling THC products out in the open online because of a loophole in the farm bill. I would argue it's not a loophole. I don't, I also don't think that people really realized that they would be legalizing these products nationally. Um, so they're just saying that we, we need to make sure that anything intoxicating is staying in the dispensary side and then anything else can be, you know, on the on, on the non-dispensary side, so sold in gas stations or, or whatever. Um, but that's kind of the crux of the issue and, and where we're at um, right now is, is we need FDA regulation and this arbitrary difference between hemp and cannabis isn't going to serve anybody well or isn't serving anybody well and it's not going to serve anybody well in the future because it's an arbitrary line and obviously these products cross. You know, and a lot of what you're saying, you know, is transitions into, I'm not going to say my sole interest in this, but, you know, I come from the the litigation and insurance world and I was just at a, a conference a couple of days ago where we were talking about cannabis just as a general you know risk assessment because anytime an insurance company is pondering insuring a a business an entity whatever you know they they want to know what kind of a, a business that they're going to be underwriting here and you know i, I was at this conference where a, a a colleague of mine was talking about going to a dispensary in Las Vegas, and I mentioned this story to you offline, Alex, where, you know, he, he goes to check out this, this dispensary um, where there are 70 different kiosks with bud tenders, which is the code for bartenders, which I got a kick out of. <laughs> and um, he said that the people in front of him in, online were people that had joint pain and that were seeking to look into cannabinoids for potential, you know, anti-inflammatory medical use, even though the bud tenders are not permitted to give medical advice. But then the guys behind him online were a bachelor party. They're, you know, looking for marijuana and there was eight or 10 guys. And I just, I can think of very few businesses that would present a similar you know, a similar business model where how do you underwrite that? Not that you can't, but it's just, it's a difficult, it's a difficult business model. It's a difficult, difficult space in the marketplace to compare to other spaces. And then to, to go on top of that, you've been talking for, you know, for uh, 20 minutes about the consistently inconsistent regular regulatory framework across states and, you know, so look, the, the fact that we are even having this discussion and the fact that the insurance industry is all over this right now is definitely a sign in your direction. Like, I, I think the conversation is over about whether cannabis is going to be a legitimate, normalized industry. Uh, but you're still in the ground floor of, okay, what is that normalized industry going to look like? I feel like five years from now, we're going to look back on 2022 saying, oh my God, can you believe we used to do business that way? Yeah. I mean, I, I fully agree. And I think once we get a 
um, marijuana legalization initiative, it's really going to shake up the industry too. Because if they don't, if they don't combine the regulation, or at least make it so that they're consistent between marijuana and hemp, um, not not that they have to be totally consistent, but they have to at least put them in the same room because at the end of the day, it's the same plant. You know, hemp can produce cannab all these cannabinoids just like marijuana can because they're this they're literally the same plant. The hemp you're seeing today grown is actually a marijuana plant that has been bred down to um, less than 0.3% THC. But the original hemp plants that you're talking, you know, your feral hemp that you see on the side of the road in Nebraska, for example, very, very few cannabinoids. You would don't even get CBD in there because it's really a fibrous crop that's meant for paper, rope, textiles, building materials, um, biofuels, potentially bioplastics if if uh, the design on bioplastics ever ends up catching up to um, regular plastic. We just keep hearing about bioplastics. I'm really excited about bioplastics, but right now 30% hemp and not clear is the best plastic that we're seeing. Um, and it, and really, I bring that up because there's a whole other side to this industry that people are really not looking at. Most people are thinking about CBD and THC and the cannabinoids in hemp. But the reason hemp was legalized and separately was because it could be used for textiles and ropes and biofuel and and plastics. And pay, you know, it, it, it's just not being utilized for that so far. We have so few processors set up to actually decorticate hemp and to turn it into these materials compared to the other side where we have probably an overabundance of processors who are processing hemp into CBD, THC, and then taking those isolate or distillate products and, and reforming those into other products. Um, so when I was talking about the price crashing in all of these sectors, because everybody runs to the next cannabinoid, there's an entirely open side of the market for hemp, and that is the textile um, fiber and seed side, grain, all of that is wide open right now. It's really the cannabinoid side of the industry, which was kind of an afterthought, I think, of Congress when they legalized this. I mean, obviously CBD was creeping up, so they wanted CBD in the market, but I don't think they thought about Delta-8 or Delta-10 or XOTHC or any of these other offshoot THCV or any of these other offshoots that you're seeing. Um, so, you know, that that side of the, the industry is is wide open. But in the cannabinoid industry, it really is, there's no other industry like it. Like you were saying, you'll have people going up to button tenders who have joint pain asking for, you know, what what will help my knee pain? And the bud tenders have to say, I can't tell you that, but here's this product, right? Because they can't <laughs> give medical advice. But I will tell you that those two elderly people, those hypothetical elderly people probably went to their doctor and said, hey, who told, what who you told them to go to the dispensary? Yeah. yeah, and ask the bud tender what products to use because the doctors, doctors have not been trained in cannabis. Most, I think it's only 10% of medical schools train on the endocannabinoid system. And then beyond that, there's nothing. So in terms of products or indica, sativa, hybrids, isolates, distillates, you know, um, you know, Rick, RSO, <laughs> there's so many different products out there that it's almost a nightmare for, for, for a medical patient to go and, and have absolute information because the doctors don't know and the bud tenders can't tell you. And what I will say is a lot of times bud tenders will, will actually go and, and push that line, but it's illegal. They're not supposed to. They're not medical professionals. They shouldn't be giving medical advice. Um, and then, you know, behind, behind your friend, 
it was a bachelor party that was just looking to go get some marijuana to get high because it was Vegas and why not? So it really is an industry that that you have elderly. You also have professionals. I mean, you'll go into the dispensaries and see people in suits just getting off work. I mean, it's it really is um, an industry that has um, gone beyond that stoner pothead contingent that we all think of. Um, and it's really continuing to to grow that way. Um, so. It's, you know, looking at this from just from the bud tender perspective, you know, they're at work and people are coming up to them in line and it's like, okay, am I going to wear my pseudo pharmacy hat, even though I'm not permitted to give medical advice, or am I going to put on my sommelier hat and find this guy something that'll pair nicely, you know, with his, with his lemon chicken that he's having later tonight, (laughs) you know, it's, it's there's, but there's no other business that has that type of comparison. Um, one thing that I want to leave off with, and you would, you and I had mentioned this online, offline, and um, generally we don't get into politics on on this podcast just because it's not worth it. <laughs> you know, I don't want right. to have arguments with people, but you're seeing a lot of bipartisan support. In is that in Colorado or at the federal level for for a lot of these bills that you're seeing? So. I'll, I'll let me start. If federally, what you're seeing is if a state's legalized, generally the Republicans and the Democrats are are supportive to some degree. In Colorado, what we're seeing is um, support for for the marijuana and hemp industry on a bipartisan basis, like period the end. So um, I hope everybody heard that bipartisan <laughs> support well, in Colorado, which is a which is a state that has some urban areas that are very left leaning and then some wilderness areas that are right. you know very right leaning bipartisan support for for a lot of these bills and for as an example um, I ran a bill to allow cannabis in schools so to allow medical patients who use cannabis for epilepsy uh, multiple sclerosis you know really severe conditions to allow them to bring their recommended cannabis to schools to be administered by a teacher or a nurse and to be able to be stored on school grounds. And the reason is, is I had clients um, who were going to school um, without the medication that would allow them to survive a seizure. So if they had a grand mal seizure, they were allergic to the to the drugs that were on the ambulance and at school and it would kill them immediately. Um, So if they didn't have this this cannabis based drug with them or cannabis based medicine with it, can't call it a drug, but medicine with them, um, then they were at risk of dying every day. So we actually brought that to the Republicans in the legislature and ran that bill through the Republican side. And we ended up having a 93 to seven vote in favor. So you're talking about, mo- and, and I think if I remember correctly, the, the no's were split Democrat and Republican. Some of the no's wow. were, one of the no's I believe was a Democrat who was a farm, uh, who was a pediatrician who just was anti anything cannabis. Um, but we had massive bipartisan support. And the reason we went to the Republicans is because if we would have gone to the Democrats with the marijuana bill, the Republicans would have opposed it likely. I mean, not a hundred percent, but that's kind of the, the, the issue is it's become a bipartisan issue in, in Colorado in that, uh, Republicans really favor medical marijuana and Democrats favor recreational. But even that's kind of come to a head and you're seeing Democrats now kind of claw back some of the 
um, I guess, expeditions in the industry, like we're seeing a lot of concentrates. Um, so you're seeing concentrates of 80 to 90 plus percent THC that are being sold in you know, cartridge that are inhaled. Um, and those concentrates are very discreet. And from a public policy standpoint, the Democrats don't like those cartridges because they can get into schools. They're high potency THC. It's just, you don't need as much. It's easier to hide. So you're seeing actually a lot of regulation coming from the Democrats now to kind of tamp down the industry, especially when it comes to concentrate production, where the Republicans are very much in favor of medical marijuana and helping kids and um, making sure that the medical program um, continues to exist. And what we're seeing in Colorado is the medical program's kind of dying. And this is a warning just to any state that's legalized recreationally is in Colorado, there's the tax that applies to medical marijuana is just um, sales tax. There's an extra 15% state tax on retail. So there's a massive incentive for the state to push as many people from the medical market to the retail market as possible because they're making 15% tax for every person they move over. Um, plus, those, plus the local counties also generally have a retail tax. So you're looking at a difference between like three and 5% tax on medical to you know somewhere between 27 and 33% tax on the recreational side. So it's also become bipartisan in taxing. Um, and and I'm even seeing that this in DC, you had a Republican file, um, a cannabis legalization bill, I believe it was from the state of uh, South Carolina. So it is becoming bipartisan. People realize that having all these businesses keep all of their cash, you know, in their basement in a safe, paying their employees in cash so that people can follow their employees home and essentially rob their employees, um, you know, is just unsustainable. It's unsustainable from an, an insurance perspective too, because now you have a client that has just immense amounts of cash sitting in their safe on their in their facility, and they become a pretty big target. They're a hard target because they've got cameras and security and um, and the like, but they're still a massive target. So you know this ins this in insuring this industry is difficult and will be a lot easier once something like safe banking passes, which will allow the cannabis industry to use banking services as long as they're compliant with state law. Um, that's been tried. They've been trying to pass that for the last three years and it just keeps getting rolled over and thrown out of omnibus bills. And it was actually in the defense bill and they threw it out of the defense bill. So, you know, I, I think that it, I think that this is one of the areas where we could actually see movement in the next two years. Um, I don't know how much movement I'm not that optimistic, but because it is a bipartisan area and you're going to have the Republicans likely control the house and the Democrats in the Senate, you'll end up having a negotiated bill, a reasonable negotiated bill where one party isn't throwing their wish list and the other party isn't throwing their wish list, but because of divided government, it has to be kind of down the middle. And that actually makes me hopeful um, that we could see something get across the finish line. So I would say that the odds are probably like 30% in favor, but that's better than I think <laughs> the 0% we've had for the last two years. Um, hey, look, it's, it's a baby steps, but you're, you're getting there. You're going to get there. The question is just how many years it's going to take. Uh, but, um, it's trending in the right direction. And again, you know, not to be a, a beat a dead horse, but the fact that the insurance industry is even, you know, having, uh, multiple 
you know, just seminars about this, about this new and emerging industry. You know, it's there's there's I think every reasonable attorney, risk manager, et cetera, knows that the the excuse me, that the cannabis industry, the hemp industry is going to be much more prevalent five years from now than it is now. So, you know, and you, you, Alex, have gotten in at the ground floor. So you've got you've got some challenges in front of you still, but uh, it's it's uh, it's trending in the right direction. Fun challenges. I mean, this is this is what I love to do. Regulation, trying to figure out all these puzzles, because that's what it is. It's a puzzle trying to make sure that hemp and marijuana both have their place in a legal federal scheme. And then all 50 states then will have to regulate because I'm assuming that they're going to do a federalist bill because of how so many states have regulated cannabis so like differently. It to me, it seems like they have to do a federalism bill and kick it to the states just like they did with hemp. Um, and whether, you know, whether after that we start to see more of a consolidation or a reorganization of the definition of hemp um, as, you know, instead of 0.3% THC, it'd be the use cases of the cannabis plant. Um, yeah, that that remains to be seen. But I do think that this is a, this business is only increasing, especially on the hemp fiber and grain side, um, especially now that the hemp's, hemp cannabinoid side is consolidated and you're seeing new products. Um, and now that more and more states, I think we have two more states that just legalize marijuana recreationally um, in these midterms. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited uh, and I'm here to, you know, continue to, to help in any way I can move this industry forward. Well, Alex, thank you very much for your time today. I think this has been very educational for the uh, for the cannabinoid novice that I think is the norm in the insurance industry. But uh, hopefully we can do something to to change that in the weeks, months, and years to come. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely.